when I stop, I hit finish? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this feels kind of strange, <laughs> speaking to a bunch of empty chairs. I can barely see a few people's heads uh, in their cars. But, uh, I guess I just want to start out by thanking Sam for giving me the opportunity to, to speak. It's, it's a privilege and an honor, really. And uh, thank Josh for reading Psalm 32. It was appropriate. And even though uh, Satan is trying to prevent this message from going, <laughs> making everybody run to their cars, it's it's still going out. And uh, let me begin begin by just saying a short prayer, and uh, and we'll get started. Father, I just thank you for this day and this time. And even though we're Sitting here in the rain, uh, we know that your message is going out. We pray, Father, that your your word would come through. I pray that uh, you would be able to help me articulate the message that you have prepared this morning. I just pray for your wisdom and guidance, as Sam was alluding to, and the decision of when and how to open up the church. And uh, just pray for your wisdom in that regard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is uh, going to be kind of a, a little different message, probably, than you've heard in a while. But, uh, it's a, it sounds a little bit convoluted, and um, I don't mean it to be convoluted. Um, and there are parts of it where I'm going to go into things that, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may think are, uh, are elementary things. Uh, you may, I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence, really. And I just, sometimes it's helpful for me as a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time just to, to go back to the basics. Uh, and my wife was quoting uh, Vince Lombardi and uh, some of the, the, the locker room conversations with he's had with his players and uh, sometimes he would go back to the basics and he would hold up a football and say, this is a football. And we're not going to go that much basics, but I wanted to start out by just saying that uh, you know, as I, as I look out at our world today, me as a Christian looking out at the world, a couple of things that I see, I see a lot of fear, I see a lot of fear, and I see a lot of hate. <clears throat> I see my, a country, the country that I live in, the, our country, the United States of America, where many thousands have given their lives to secure freedoms that today, including our religious A country founded mostly by godly men on a godly foundation. see that country turning away from God. It has turned away from God. Many people in our country wanting nothing with God. They want a world without God. And in that regard, I was doing a lot of reading online and just refreshing my memory of what, what our Constitution says. And I ran across a, a, a quote from Benjamin Franklin, who was involved with the Committee of Five to draft the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Franklin was a very smart guy, and he had a lot of good quotes, but I'll read one to you that I think is just pretty apropos for today. And he said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety 
deserve neither liberty nor safety. Those are Benjamin Franklin's words in the late 1700s. You know, as a believer, I look out at what I see in the world today of fear and hate, and I can get upset about the things that I see. And as a human being, even angry at times, sometimes I feel frustrated. I want to fix it. I see the things that are going on in my world, and I want to do something to change it. I want, and I pray for the leaders of our nation, and I pray for uh, our country to return back to its godly roots. Well, you know, as a believer, I, I can't finish there by being angry and upset and frustrated. I have to look to God's Word. Book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 36, where Jesus says, Watch therefore and pray always that you be counted worthy to escape the things which are coming to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So he tells us to watch and to pray that we may be counted worthy. You know, I'm going to start out by uh, reading a section from 2 Chronicles chapter 6. If you could turn there if you have a Bible. I'm going to read uh, a section there in chapter 6, verse, uh, chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, starting at verse 28, reading through 31. This is a prayer that Solomon made uh, after he had built the temple and after he had built his house. This is before the dedication, and this is part of his prayer. It's a very long prayer, but you can read it in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. But this is the section that he prayed, and he, he said, I'm going to read here, it says, When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies, speaking of the children of Israel's enemies, besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven, he's praying to God, he says, please hear, hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men that they may fear you to walk in, in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers you know god answered that prayer of solomon and he, and he answered that in part uh, i'll read just a part of it in the next chapter, 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14, where God answers Solomon's prayer. Actually, I'll start with verse 12. And he said, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And God went on to say, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land.
You know, when I read that, it means several things to me. And as, um, one of the things, thoughts that I had as an early Christian was, you know, do these promises made by God in the Old Testament, when they're directed towards someone like Solomon, who mentions the children of Israel, is this a prayer, is this a promise that I can take um, as a promise to Americans living in the United States today? Or is this a prayer, a promise made just to the children of Israel who lived thousands of years ago? And God's Word helps us answer that question as well. Paul recorded in 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, sure you remember this, where he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That word Scripture, uh, the Greek word that uh, Paul uses for Scripture there, is the same Greek word that's used in Luke, by Luke, in chapter 4, verse 21, where Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth and he stood up in the temp in the uh, synagogue and he read a passage from Isaiah and then he sat down and he said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and the word that Paul and Luke used for scripture there includes the Old Testament it isn't just the New Testament these are promises made by God and these Old Testament promises are just as applicable to us as they were to the children of Israel. I want to read a little section that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is a little bit convoluted, but it gets to the point. I'm going to read through verse 11, and you'll see why once we get through verse 11. Paul says in chapter 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. These are things that happened thousands of years ago, and, and Paul says they became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things, all these things that were mentioned earlier, thousands of years ago in the Old Testament recorded, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, you know, here is Paul telling us that these things, events that happened in the Old Testament, they are applicable for us today as examples for our admonition. Moreover, Scripture tells us that 
like Sam mentioned earlier today, that God's character does not change. He is unchangeable. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Malachi 3.6 tells us, For I love, for, for the Lord, for I the Lord do not change. Malachi 3.6, For I the Lord do not change. You know, as a human being, I look out at these and I see uh, that's convincing to me that this promise that is made to Solomon applies to us today in America, living in the United States. But you know, there is, I'm a sinful man, just like Peter said. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. I'm a sinful man. I feel like that sometimes, and there's a rebel still inside of me that sometimes thinks these things. I don't often say these kind of things, but I think them. And the thing that I think is like goes like this. It's, and I say to myself, it seems to me that the really evil people in our country are the ones who should repent. People who have passed laws legalizing abortion, for example, or given millions of dollars to nations that are bent on our destruction, or they've closed churches calling them non-essential, and they've kept the abortion clinics open, which they consider essential. These are the evil ones that should repent. That's what I think. And then I look at the verse and I, I look at what, what God said in Second Chronicles. And that verse does not say that God does not say that He will heal the land after the unbelievers repent. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. It says, if my people, we are God's people, who are called by my name, we are called by His name. We will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what it says. Uh, I can't wait for, and it's not. That's the rebel inside of me wanting uh, the evil people, the unbelievers of the world to repent, but that's not what God says. Correction and rebuke begins with God's people. I know I'm a sinner. But I also know that all my sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And all my sins are as far as east is from west in terms of what God sees in my life. And I pray that we can humble ourselves as a church, as a congregation, as a remnant living on this earth in these last times, and we can pray. And we can seek God's face. And we can humble ourselves. And we can turn from our wicked ways and then God promises that He will hear from heaven and that He will forgive our sin and heal our land. You know, I go on with this sort of argument and I ask myself, has seeking instruction from God's Word, and I ask the question, has there ever been a time when believers lived in a country that has turned away from God? like we are today. We live in a country, I could call ourselves the, the faithful remnant. We live in a country that's basically godless today. It's turned away from God in a big way. Has there ever been recorded in Scripture a time where the remnant has lived in a country that's turned away from God? Well, of course. We see all through the New Testament that the nation of Israel and Judah 
came to God many times and repented and were forgiven. And then they departed from God again. They walked away. They made a conscious decision to walk away from God, as much of our country has done today. You know, uh, one of those sections that I'm going to read today is in the, in the chapter of Jeremiah. And I'm going to read uh, Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, if I can find it. There's a lot of books in the Old Testament. <laughs> Oops, that's not it. That's where I have marked. Oh, Jeremiah 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. If any of you know about the, a little history about Jeremiah, he was, he's been called the weeping prophet. Uh, God gave Jeremiah a mission of bringing a message, a very difficult message to the nation of Judah that had walked away from God. And Jeremiah's job was to preach a message of destruction to Judah unless they repented. That was his job. That was his assignment. What a difficult assignment. And God describes part of that here in chapter 19 where I'll read starting in verse 1. And they says, Thus says the Lord, Go, and he's speaking to Jeremiah, Go and get a potter's earthen flask. And the purpose of this is, if we read, read the rest of the chapter, we'd see that God is going to use an example for Jeremiah where he's going to take a, a flask and he's going to have Jeremiah break it in front of the, the leaders of, of Judah and show that this is what I'm going to do to Judah unless you repent. I'm going to break it into, into many pieces. And take some of the elders and of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the Potsherd Gate, and proclaim there the words that I will tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears it, his ears will tingle. And then he gives us the reason, because they have forsaken me. They've made a conscious decision to walk away from God. And made this an alien place, because they have burned incense to it to other gods, whom they neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And they fill this place with the blood of the innocents. Do you know what the blood of the innocents is? It's the blood of children child sacrifice similar to what our country is doing today with its abortion laws reading in verse 5 it says they have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal which I did not command or speak nor did it ever come into my mind therefore behold the days are coming says the Lord that this place shall no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. You know, after Jeremiah gave this uh, message, you know, what did he do? Jeremiah was faithful. He gave this message, difficult as it was, to his own countrymen, probably with tears in his eyes. And what he got in return was that the priest laid hands on him put him in stocks and beat him. 
In Jeremiah, at one point in, in chapter 20, verse 9, you'll read that basically Jeremiah says, I quit. I quit. I'm no longer going to preach the Word of God. But you know, no sooner that he had said that than he realized that he couldn't quit. Because God's Word was burning in his bones, he said, and I could not quit. I was weary of holding it back, he said in verse 9, and I could not. Jeremiah was faithful. He carried out the mission that God had given him. He preached a difficult message to his own people. And he did not quit. He did not give up. And he was faithful to the end. I pray that we, as Americans, uh, Christians living in a, in a country that's walked away from God, would have the boldness and the strength uh, to live a life like Jeremiah, to be faithful to the end. You know, I ask myself another question. So how should we live as we see the day approaching? And I ask myself another question. Should we live in fear? As I look across the world, I see fear, I see hate. Should we live in fear? What has God said about that? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and a sound mind. Moreover, Paul tells us that our citizenship is not in this country. We may be, on paper, citizens of the United States, but Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that I think Scripture tells us is that we should not be surprised at the birth pains, that I, I would call them birth pains, that are coming on this world, because we were told. We were told that this was going to happen, and we were told why. You can read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, or the whole book of Revelation that Sam just finished, which describes these birth pains and many other things in the tribulation period. But you know, God has promised the church, His bride, that we are not reserved for wrath. We are not reserved for wrath. So we have no reason to fear. We have promises that God uh, will hear our prayers and heal our land if we repent and turn and seek His face. Moreover, uh, we have no reason to fear because God has not given us a spirit. His character does not change. Our citizenship is in heaven. So how should we live in this crazy world? One of the things that Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching peter tells us in second peter 3 verses 11 through 14 he tells us that we should be as the faithful remnant people of holy conduct we should be godly people we should be people looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the lord and to be diligent to be found in him by him in peace 
So I'll ask that question again. So how should we live in this world? This is faithful remnant. Living in an ungodly world that is, seems to be getting worse every year. God gave us a great commission that's recorded in the Gospels. The one is recorded in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And then he gives us an encouragement. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a great commission that we're to make disciples of all nations and that Jesus, His power and His strength will be with us even to the end of the age. Paul says it a little bit differently. Um, and I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I just have to find it. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read through verse 5. Paul tells us, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and is appearing in His kingdom. And he says, Preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. There's that word exhorting again. With all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. This is the summary here. I want to read this again. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry, Paul says. You know, well, I think it was the first time I, I gave God's message here at this church. I was covering a section from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and talking about the end times, and I just want to briefly summarize here that, you know, Paul gives us a layout of the, the chronology of how things are going to happen during that time. And it says, first there will be a falling away. There will be a deliberate decision uh, among many to walk away from God. And he calls it the falling away. In other translations, it's called the apostasy. And there's a definite article that says the apostasy. It's not just an apostasy. We've always had apostasy in our country, various factions in our country walking away from God. But this is different. This is the apostasy, a definite article. And, you know, I ask myself because I'm very interested in the end times, and I think about that a lot, and I think, is this the apostasy or an apostasy? To be honest, I don't know. If we're raptured as a church, then I'll know it's the apostasy. And if we're not, if God instead brings a revival, then I'll know it was an apostasy, like there has been in years past. Barbara reminded me of this, is that, uh, you know, when we were growing up as kids, you know, I lived through the 1960s as a young man, and uh, 
during all of the 1960s, and even, this actually even started in the late 1950s, it was the Vietnam War. 58,000 American lives were lost in that war. Horrible things that throughout the whole, whole 1960s. There was 1962, there was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of you are maybe old enough to remember that. 13 days, our school teachers told us to stick our heads into the desk to protect us from nuclear war. We thought we were going to nuclear war with Russia in 1962. 1963, JFK was assassinated. And on the same day that JFK was assassinated, C.S. Lewis died. And I'll mention C.S. Lewis and give you a quote from him at the end. We'll finish here. He was a great Christian man who lived quite a number of years ago. 1968, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. All of these things happened in the 1960s. But you know what followed all of this? With the Jesus movement. Many millions of people came to know the Lord in a great revival that swept our nation beginning in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Chuck Smith started Calvary Chapel during that period of time. And my wife, Barbara, became a Christian, came to know the Lord during this time. She was one of those people who called a Jesus freak. And, uh, you know, so we don't know, looking at the horrible things that are happening in our world today, whether this is going to lead to a revival or whether this is the apostasy, uh, the falling away. You know, I mentioned C.S. Lewis a minute ago. He's, he passed away, like I said. He died the same day that JFK was assassinated. He was a great Christian man, a writer. He's written many books. Many of you probably have heard in the name, or maybe you've read the book of Mere Christianity. He wrote a lot of good Christian books. But uh, <coughs> Barbara found this for me, and it was someone who had posted this on Facebook, it was a, but it was a reference asking the question, what would C.S. Lewis say about the world that we live in today uh, with COVID-19? And she said, well, here's a quote from C.S. Lewis when he was asked almost the same question back in 1948. He was asked the question, how should we live as Christians in a world with the atomic bomb? And this is what C.S. Lewis said, and I'll read it to you. It's a little bit long, but it's, it's not bad. C.S. Lewis said, In one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, Why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor vehicle accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. 
we had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, and that was anesthetics, but we still have those. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to just be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things like praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. That's from On Living in an Atomic Age, 1948, by C.S. Lewis. Father, I just want to close by just thanking you for the opportunity to, to, to dig into your word, Lord. And I just pray that you would give us as a body, as a faithful remnant, uh, give us wisdom and help us to understand our times, Lord, in reference to your word and what you've told us. We pray that you would give us the boldness uh, to speak and to preach the word and do what Paul says, to carry out the mission, to make disciples of all nations. Pray that you'd give us the boldness and the faith and help us to be visible to the world, Lord, as a people who show no fear. We have no reason to be fearful. We have every reason to not fear. Father, I pray that uh, you would give us strength. I pray that you would give us wisdom, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.